2: Recorded live. Welcome everyone to episode fifteen of the Gallant Goose and Friends, a self-help Q and A meeting here on you number one three nine three three five. I'm your co-host, Greg, coming to you live from the birthplace of the American Bar Association and the home of Abraham Lincoln Al Capone, the Untouchables, 16 Shots, and Operation Greylord, where the motto is, vote early, vote often, even if you're dead. The primary focus of this call is to discuss mortgage foreclosure defense and attack strategies and related experiences and whereas we hope some questions and answers might be addressed in this one-hour program. This call is not associated with Neil Living Lies, his law firm, or any other interests, or any other legal or accounting entity, and is the sole responsibility of the private group of friends which constitute it. And all opinions expressed are those of the participants alone. No official accounting or legal advice is given herein, so if you need a lawyer or a CPA, please hire one authorized to work in your state. Please remember that this call is being recorded for rebroadcast, and we do not recommend disclosing private contact information. To contact other participants on the call, please email the host, and we'll do our best to help connect you offline. Tonight, we have a very special guest who is a recent expatriate from 17 years in the mortgage banking industry. Scott started out as an escrow agent doing closings, then advanced mortgage loan officer, processor, underwriter, branch manager, mortgage broker, and loss mitigator for the banks. Interestingly, he was quoted as saying, looking back on my career, I don't believe any mortgage closing that I was ever involved in was ever consummated. Tonight, Scott will be covering some areas relating to lack of disclosure and consideration, substitution of two mortgage contracting partners, unfunded loan agreements, non-existing trusts, Prioritization of your notes and bifurcation of the security interests and how to identify and prove the non existence of the so called trust named in an assignment which may be coming after you to foreclose. But first, let's recap some recent headlines that are going on in the world of foreclosure and homeowners. First I want to recognize Neil for a nice recap on the Teeler decision on his blog talk call earlier tonight. And we recommend that anyone and everyone download that call. Just go to www.livingwise.wordpress.com and follow the link. Another interesting story was uh, the law firm of Matt Weidner, Weidner Law, uh, has a headline as just scoring two big foreclosure wins already here in 19, in, uh, 19, listen to me, 2016. It's just two working days into 2016, and Widener Law has already scored teenager foreclosure victories, a trial court win, and, just today, a critical win from Florida's Second District Court of Appeals in the Bank of New York Mellon versus Richard L. Jacobs. Widener's website has PDF files for download, with the full text of the written opinions from the appellate court. It's comprised of nearly three words. They are, per curiam affirm. So why are those three simple words so fantastic? Because they already won at trial, and the appellate court affirmed their win by simply asserting that they were correct. Please go over there and check it out. It's very cool. On um, the sour side of things, Multnomah County in Oregon sued the big banks and MERS and then accepted a $9 million settlement exchange yeah. for saying that they would now accept the MERS recordings as being real. This is a big problem because this bypasses the Oregon State Legislature, which establishes which documents must be and how they must be recorded. Multnomah County is a small county east of uh, Portland and is simply putting its own stamp of approval on fraudulent documents without the consent of the state legislature. A contract that committed illegal activity is void and unenforceable. No county is ever authorized to make policy decisions like that. So the big question is, where is the Oregon Attorney General to defend the state legislature? Moving on to some happy news in Hawaii, the Hawaii Appellate Court Taylor decision was effective. In the, in the Intermediate Court of Appeals of Hawaii, case number CAAP-14-0001018, decided on December 28th, U.S. Bank lost another one. As expected, the Appellate Court was timid, although... It was very emphatic on the standing under Justinowski. So in this case, the court overturned virtually everything done by the trial court judge and remanded the case for further proceedings consistent with Justinowski. The rescission was indeed effective without a lawsuit by operation of law, leaving no loan contract, no note, and no mortgage for the plaintiff to operate under. It will be very interesting to see how that shakes out. All right, ladies and gents. Uh, Let's welcome former mortgage banker and uh, all-around good doer, Scott, as our guest speaker for this evening, and uh, Neva, our co-host, is also on board with us. Uh, Welcome, you guys. Uh, uh, Scott, would you like to add anything to your introduction?
1: Um, Nope, that's pretty much all you need to say. Um, Just let me know what you want me to talk about, and we'll take it from there.
2: Well, Um, We were talking about uh, disclosure consideration, substitution, uh, unfunded loan agreements, non-existing trusts, um, securitization and bifurcation, and how folks can go identify and prove that the the so-called trust doesn't exist.
1: All right.
2: That's pretty much where uh, we left off last time you and I talked privately. So please, let everybody else hear what we all talked about.
1: Sure, let's start with the unfunded loan agreements because that coincides with the uh, um, lack of disclosure and consideration from the contracting partners that they're one and the same. Um, All right. When the borrower goes to the closing table, they think that they know, they're told who their lender is, they think that that lender is their party providing the uh, source of the funds for their for their note. They sign all the documents, and that's the last they hear everything. They think that everything went, uh, went as appeared. But in the background, what they don't know is that the source of the funds is not from the name of the lender on, the note, on their note and mortgage. It's just, it's just there for its smoke and mirrors. In order for there to be a contract, because that closing is a contract, both parties must perform. You, you perform when you sign your notes, and the, name, the lender on the note does not perform because they do, provide, they do not provide the, uh, the funding. They came from an unnamed third party. problem is with that is the title company, your closing agent, knew that the lender named on the note and the mortgage did not provide the source of the funds. If you look at your settlement statement, you'll notice that you paid the escrow agent, the closing agent, to perform the closing. Because you paid money, they had a of responsibility to you to notify you of this. If you'd have known that the name of the lender on your note and mortgage did not provide any give you any money, you never would have signed the documents. top that off, and then the escrow agent, the closing agent, went around and they recorded the documents on behalf of the lender, through your note and mortgage, at your registered deeds office, knowing that those documents were fraudulent.
2: All right.
3: Yeah, that's very... Is there, is, is
2: there anything... I'm sorry, go ahead, Nita. I
3: said that's very interesting that the escrow agent actually did know they were filing, uh... Documentation.
2: Right, because
1: they, they they knew it because they received the funds. They received the funds in one of two ways. They received the funds by a wire or they received a cashier's check which is which was over and added to them.
3: Either a wire or a cashier's check.
1: Correct. And to, to prove this, you need to go back. Anybody wants to prove the source of the funds for their for their transaction is they need to go to their Title company or escrow agent closing agent, and they need to request a copy of the wire confirmation that put, that uh, provided the funds for their their closing and or a copy of the certified check. Yeah. Now this used to be a lot easier back in two thousand and eight two thousand and nine, but they're catching on to why why people are asking for it, so it's become more difficult
3: okay. I just wanted to say that that they're not really they don't really want to give you this, and I've also spoken to mortgage brokers about the transaction, and they say that five years is all they have to keep records for.
1: That's all they have to keep records for. But now, thanks to the computer and everybody scanning all the documents, they have them. Oh, okay. Uh, so the, yeah, back there they used to they used to play stupid. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. No, what, what are you talking about? So I, I would actually have to go, I need a copy of the wire. How was my loan funded? Did they wire the money in? Then I need a copy of the wire confirmation. If they overnighted a certified check, I want a copy of the check. Or did they just drop off a box of money, a suitcase <laughs> full of money to put my loan? If in that case, I want a, a copy of the cash receipt. All right. And then they they both figured out it was serious and I started to get the I started to get these copies of these wire confirmations.
2: And, and uh, Scott, is the timing of the payment important in this at all?
0: Uh because the think you were
2: saying is that sometimes these things are funded just on the application signature
1: you right before you it. actually okay.
2: went to do the closing.
1: You're you're talking about something totally different there. You're getting more into the uh, securitization and how these trusts were allegedly funded. But okay, I don't any... want
2: to jump ahead. I don't want to jump ahead. We'll, I'll, okay, I'll, we'll wait and we'll bring up that later. Okay.
1: So, to the, the prove that your note was never consummated, transaction was never consummated, you need to go to your title company or closing agent and get a copy of either wire confirmation or a copy of the certified check. It'll tell you. It'll tell you the name of the bank where the account is, and it'll tell you the, the account, the, the name on the account. The name on the account does not match the lender's name on your note and
2: mortgage. Okay. So and what does that give the What does that give the average homeowner?
1: That what that tells you. is Your note was never consummated. It tells you that you don't own the people. You don't own the lender on the mortgage. The people you do owe is the people listed on, note, on the note, on the wire confirmation, or on the certified check.
2: But at the same time, Scott, you don't have a contract with them.
1: Correct. You don't need that. You don't need to have a written contract. By you, by the borrower accepting the funds by act of law, they just they have a, a commit. They have a.
2: It becomes a simple contract under black letter. Correct.
1: Correct. If they have they have a commitment to that whoever they took the money from they, they owe whoever they took the money from even though there's not a written contract.
2: But there's no security either because that is
1: correct. It is unsecured. Okay. So you could you could theoretically make your payments to the name of the lender on a note and mortgage for thirty years. Think that it's all paid off, and in 30 years, 30 years later, you know, at the end of the 30 years, the party that the real source of the funds could come after you demanding their money.
2: In a court of equity.
1: Correct. And they would have a claim.
2: And that's a pretty dangerous place to be. Yes, it is.
3: Well, uh, another question I have is with regard to uh, the bankrupt alleged lenders. We have all of these uh, transactions being assigned from a bankrupt entity into a trust that closed already.
1: Right. Now, now you're talking about the assignment of mortgage, correct? Yes. All right. Yeah, that's what you have to look. You need to take the assignment of the mortgage, look at the date, not the date that they put in the assignment, the date that the date the assignment was signed, because that's when it becomes legal. Okay. And then you have to look at who's assigning who from what. So, like you said, these alleged lenders, pretend lenders, which are nothing more than originators, are assigning the our mortgage, directly to the trust. Now there's a couple of things wrong with that. One, the assignment is normally years after the cutoff date of the trust. Right. And two, most, and most if you read the, the pooling of services agreement and the perspectives and the assignments and assumption agreements for these trusts, you will see that these the notes must be assigned, to signed, meaning sold two to three times. I mean, I mean three to four times before it gets into the trust. So there's a a specific chain of custody that that note must follow in order to get into the trust.
2: And just to refresh everybody's mind, what are the the names of those parties? You've got the originator, and then you've got... You
1: have an originator. You have... purchaser who
2: becomes the seller, right? a A company. You have a
1: seller, and you have an underwriter.
2: And if who, you read, who, who's the last party? Who's the what's the name of the last party that goes just before the trust? The uh,
1: That you'd have to read the prospectus, but I believe it would be the I would believe it would be the seller.
2: Yeah,
1: you, you read the documents, you'll get the name of the lender, You'll get the name of the parties, the company's names. You'll get their addresses. You'll get their phone numbers. And those parties should all be included in any actions that you take
2: against the
1: against the trust okay
2: so when, when so you can, can get that from you can get that from uh the s b c website yes yeah, the s b c website is
1: type in the name of the trust that's foreclosing on you, and you can see it in the perspective it's in the pooling and service agreement it's in the assignment assumption agreement. You just have to read through. You could do a, uh, go to the PDF file, uh, PDF file, and just do a search. And look for, look for assignments. And uh, it just say assignment, and it'll take you through everything. It'll walk you right through the whole transaction.
2: Alright, so now you've got, we talked just a moment ago about, um, the assignment of the mortgage, but, That doesn't express anything about where the heck did the note go?
1: Right. Well, I'll get to that. Did you talk about that? that? That's one part. That's one part about the assignment of mortgage. Now, the the second part about that assignment of mortgage is I I, I glanced over it, but I'll get more specific. It'll say the originator assigned the note to the trust. Now, besides the fact that it's way past the cutoff date the originator cannot assign the, the mortgage to the trust. They can, but they can't. What I mean by they can't, if they're admitting that they bifurcated, bifurcated the note from the mortgage. They're saying that they assigned the note to the next party of the chain, which is usually the company, but they kept the mortgage. So by doing that, by splitting the note and the mortgage, or maybe they did that, the note can act, the note by its bylaws and trust laws cannot be in the trust.
2: The trust if can't be If the
1: follow. note is always,
2: if the note is always supposed to follow the mortgage. No, the mortgage always follows. I'm sorry, the, I, 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 yeah, I'm sorry I said that backwards. Yep. Yeah, the mortgage um,
1: follows the note. The
2: mortgage is always supposed to follow the note. Is so there some unlawful? It, is that also? Or an admission of an unlawful act.
1: That is correct. No, it's not, that's not unlawful. But they, they can do that. But what they, when they did that, they just they made the note unsecured, and they just voided the mortgage. The instant they did that, automatically the note is unsecured and the mortgage is
2: void. Oh, and just what, because what, I'll, I'll, I'm going to ask you this question because you know maybe I'm an idiot. Or maybe there's a lot of people out there that feel like idiots. Why in God's name would they do that if it would shoot the whole thing in the foot?
1: I I, I can't answer that one. I do not know why. And the court, all right, the only reason I can think of, and again, this is theory, is they're using that assignment of mortgage to show the courts that they have possession of the note, which is backwards. But that's what they're using. They're using that assignment of mortgage to show that they have it. They have the note.
2: So they have the smoke, but they don't have the gun.
1: That is correct. <laughs> and the courts are turning a blind eye. Now, also, when you when you read your assignment and assumptions agreements, your PSA, you follow you follow the chain of custody. Now, not always, but usually when you get to the, when the note is supposed to be assigned to the trust, that is where it says that the blank endorsement, which everybody's using this blank endorsement to do whatever it has to act as bearer bonds. But if you read the PSA and the assignment assumption agreement, it's going to say that once it's assigned to the trust, the trust usually has 30 days to put a to endorse it to put a what's the correct word? A specific endorsement. So they have to endorse it. They they have to sign a Deutsche Bank or the name of the trust whoever the trustee is. They have to sign it on behalf of the trust.
2: You made a really good metaphor the other day when we were talking about to help oh. people understand why that endorsement has to happen. Remember when we were talking about like a check cashing a check. Right.
1: A note is no different than a check. It's, they're basically, if you use, use the UCC code, they're one are the same. And if you take a check, you write it out for cash, say, I owe you, Greg, I owe you $100. And I just write it out for cash, and I give it over, I, I, I endorse it, I give it to you, and you owe your, you owe your, your neighbor $100, and you say, here it is. You, you endorse it, you, you don't even have to endorse it, but you can just give it over to him, but if order for him to get his $100, he has to take it to the bank, and the bank's not going to give him $100 until he endorses it.
3: So there has to be an endorsement by the actual trustee? Is that the
1: issue? If you, if you want to enforce the note, you have to first endorse it.
3: Okay. And none of them are endorsed, by the way.
1: That is correct. They're just the holder. They're not the holder in due course. It's just the holder. If you want to enforce something, if you want to enforce a check. If you want to enforce a note, you have first have to endorse it. I don't know that. You, you just see your hand. Yep, I can see it. It's good, but I can't. I can't do nothing with it until you put your endorsement on it.
2: Right. Which is now the uh, our next T-shirt. Uh, if you don't endorse, you can't enforce. <laughs> Correct. There you go.
3: And in black.
1: Okay, so now now let's see. Now we can go to the, the trusts. The trusts themselves do not exist. Right. Now anybody anybody that takes a little bit of time can prove it to themselves, and they can get written they get written, written authors or written proof that they don't exist. You need to take you need to go to the SUC website. And you need to search the trust. You just search in the name of the trust, put your name of your trust in, put a search button, and all the documents for that trust will pop up. And on there, it will say name of the trust, blah, 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 trust, X, Y, Z, registered in the state. It's going to say the state of New York or the state of Delaware. So then you go to what it says. Let's say it says registered in the state of Delaware. You go to the Delaware uh, Department of Finance, the Delaware. In this case, it's Delaware Secretary of State's website, and you look up all corporations and trusts. You do a search for corporations, search for trusts, and then you type in the name of the trust again. If that trust is registered in the state as it's as they reported to the SEC, they are. Then, all uh, their their uh, their registration documents will. Just pop up. It'll say they're in good standing or not in good standing and this and that. What you're going to find is they're not registered. They never were. No, 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 no information is going to show. So then you need to write, so you got emails, so you can send a couple of emails to the Secretary of State asking, I'm trying to do a search for this company. They, they, they're reporting to the FCC that they're registered in your state. I can't, I can't do, I can't do, I can't do, I can't find no information. Can you please look it up for me? Don't look it up. Don't send me an email back. Nothing there. All right. Can you, there's nothing there. So then you, you, you ask them, can you put something in writing for me? Can you send me a letter? They're more than happy to write, send you a letter of attestation stating the fact that the trust is not registered, nor has it ever been registered in this state. It does not exist. And then to back that up, they need to do a Freedom of Information Act requesting the same information with the state of Delaware. And they're gonna send that they're gonna send you documentation stating the same thing. So now you got two two legal documents, you got two documents from uh two different government agencies for the state that they state that they're that the trust is stating that they're registered in. state that these trusts do not exist.
3: Why this really brings up issues is many of these entities that went bankrupt and that's federal it's a federal court for bankruptcy lied to the bankruptcy uh, court about these trusts
1: oh yes, and that's why that, that brings up something else here when i I spoke to a an uh, attorney that actually got settlement, but they represented pension funds they they don't go after the trust. They don't go after the lenders. They don't do. They don't do none of that. What they go after is they go after the underwriter, which is listed in your in your the trust prospectus and PSA agreements. Huh. They they go after the underwriter, which makes a lot of sense because the underwriter has to go through all the documents and verify that all the documents are in order. And that they, and they got to verify that they verify the documents. So they go after the underwriter.
3: Well, what does the underwriter produce
1: then? The underwriter, com- the underwriter confirms that the notes were bought. The underwriter confirms that the notes went through the chain of custody. The underwriter confirms that the trust is set up, does exist. The underwriter creates the certificates that are sold to the investors. The underwriter does everything.
3: Well, if he does everything, how then? Th- in other words, we've just proven that the trusts don't exist, and now we are proving the trusts.
2: Do it. No, no. Well, what I'm saying, they go after the underwriter because the
1: underwriter is the party that's saying that everything was everything was in order. I the see. Underwriter, the underwriter signs off on all these transactions, knowing that knowing that everything was fraudulent.
3: Right, and he's also uh, in, uh, to be an underwriter.
2: Is it, <laughs> is it is it is it a sure thing? Is is it a sure thing that the underwriter knew everything was fraudulent, or is it possible that the underwriter was also defrauded?
1: No, because the the underwriter has to verify everything. They have to get confirmation.
2: And he's okay. only using the information that's being provided to him.
1: That is correct. But
2: so it's possible. I'm just I'm just saying for.
1: for yeah, you're playing you know, double advocate. Yeah, it's possible. It's very, it's possible, highly unlikely.
3: Well, just let's just uh, for as a scenario, we, we're going to depose this underwriter. He has got to testify under oath that he did all these documentations, yet none of them produced a trust.
1: Correct. Well, you got you got to understand though too that the underwriter is part of, is is part of the chain of custody too. Okay. The, for the note from the originator to the trust. Okay. So the so the note is supposed to be assigned to the underwriter, and with the guarantee that the borrower has no claim for defenses against the holder of the note.
2: So the uh, the underwriter is to the trust what Arthur Anderson was to Enron.
1: Hey, you got it right there, yes? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's yeah. a good analogy. All right, so what should we talk about? All right, uh, Greg, we're talking about um, how we, you were saying before, that the note is sold before it's even signed. It goes back further than that. Your note, Your note was sold before you even came into a mortgage broker's office to apply for a loan.
3: Right, and they also stole your identity.
1: That is correct. What happens is, way back when, I had a bunch of loans with this new new lender. Well, they weren't new, but they went national. Um, Franklin Mortgage out of Tennessee, okay. and they provided great they provided great pricing for us. Which, as a mortgage broker or a loan officer, that's how you got paid, and that's how rates are determined. So, what happens is Wall Street will go out there and say, "We're going to sell some mortgage backed securities here, and we need some loans." We want, say, we want $25 million worth of loans, and it'll give the underwriting guidelines. Let's say we want a borrowers with 680 credit score or higher. We want loan-to-values 80% or lower, and we want a debt ratio of no higher than 35%. That's for verified income, verified assets. And we can also get some no-asset, no-verification of income. But that credit score has to be 750, and we can only go up 75% debt ratio, and so on. So they're going to sell these. They're, they're already generating up these mortgage they're, they're securities. They are getting ready to sell to the investors. But now they need the loans. So what they'll do is they'll go out to these mortgage, these mortgage companies out there, like New Century, Option One, Wells Fargo, Chase. Doesn't make a difference. And they'll say we we need these and we're willing to pay a $1, hundred fifteen points on it, so a fifteen on a dollar. And they wait for the companies to bid on them. So if somebody bids one fourteen, it's yours. Somebody bids one twelve, one ten. Until somebody doesn't want to go no lower, then they, they, that's how they want. Instead of going up, rate are bidding higher. They bid lower. So they'll go and say you won the bid. You got it. You got it at 109. So for every dollar, so for 25 million dollars, we're going to pay you nine cents on top of that. Nine percent. Nine percent profit. So that's not too bad. They made just under two and a half million dollars. So they take that nine points profit there. Then they come to the mortgage brokers. We need loans, and then that's how they price the interest rates. So with 80, say the interest rate's got to be 5%. So they'll come and say well, we're going to pay you one point at 5%. And the higher the interest rate, the more points they pay. But they need they need at five five points. So they're, they're going to pay you nine. They get nine points, so they're going to pay you up a point. And they got to pay their underwriters. They got to pay their security guys and everything else. But outcomes are at nine points you come into my office. I say, "Yep, the interest rates are five percent." You say, "Great, all right. We sign the documents, and before and your your loan's already sold. It doesn't have a loan number yet. Doesn't have nothing else, but it's sold. It's gone. Um, probably not doing a great job explaining this, but yeah, that's that's it's gone. It's it's.
2: So tell it's, tell, it's, tell the story. Tell the short story of uh, when you asked Franklin for your package back. Oh. All right, they like I said, they,
1: they, when they came out, they were they're aggressive in pricing. Everybody else paid me one point for a five percent loan, they were paying me two points. And I have probably a, one and a half million dollars of loans with these people, and locked in for thirty days. And it's like day twenty-one. and I'm calling them up, what's the status? Cause my customers are calling me up. They want to know what's going on. You know, it's like you ain't telling me nothing. I go, I can't. I don't know. I can't tell you nothing because they're not telling me nothing. I go, I called up and found they haven't looked at my loans yet. They haven't even processed them yet. I demanded that they overnight all my loans back to me so I can get them to a different lender. They're responsible. You can't get the kind of pricing from anybody else. I go, I don't care how much you pay me. If you can't close, I don't make nothing. So I came in the next morning coming to work. It's 8 o'clock in the morning, and I got some guy in a suit. Sitting outside the door, waiting for me to open up. And he comes in and he goes, I am the president of Franklin Mortgage. <laughs> I go, Excuse me? He goes, I am the president here and I heard you had a complaint. You want your loans back. I go, Yes. Did you bring them with you? Yeah, he goes, No, I didn't. So then he had to proceed to tell me how Wall Street works, how the secondary market works, and all this and that, and how his loans, all these loans were already sold. Uh-huh. He. And that they can't make up the $1.5 million of loans on a short notice. Otherwise, they got to pay a big fine. But it's all right for me to pay a half a point, a quarter point to get a rate lock extension because they can't, process, they can't underwrite my loans in time because they're too busy. So yeah, he proceeded to tell me that your loans are already sold before you even sign, before you even apply. It's a it's one big it's one big it's a big circle and it's a all, all deception.
2: And so you had to end up paying a penalty for the delay. Yeah, correct. Now there's one thing you know and you got to understand.
1: If these banks were actually lending their money, actually funding your notes, there would be no underwriting fee. There would be no processing fee. There would be all these fees would be gone. But that's how they make their money because they're not lending no money, but they're making money on fees, so they're charging you through the way too much money. The only thing you should be paying for is appraisal and title. And you shouldn't even pay for title because you're paying for the title insurance. And it's in the name of the lender. It's in the name of the lender. It's a lender policy. It's not a homeowner's policy. but you're paying for it.
2: I don't know. My my title insurance policy has me.
1: You're you're deemed on it as a bower. But it's a lender policy. It protects the lender. It doesn't protect you.
2: So how does one claim against their title insurance policy? You'd
1: have to go take it up with your title insurance and say, how come come this is a lender policy and not a homeowner's policy? You can use it, you know, to say that you got a clean title. But if anything happened with the title, there's had to to be a payout. It's going to the lender and not you.
2: Got it. Well, I'm looking at the clock here, and I see it's already 20 after the hour. And um, if everybody else is okay with this, uh, uh, press star 8 on your telephone to ask Scott some questions. Um, Central New Jersey already has their hand up, and, uh, we're gonna unmute you, Central New Jersey, and, uh, bring you onto the call. Hello, Central New Jersey, are you there?
4: I believe it's me, Mike Keene.
2: Well, hi there, Mike. Welcome to the call. Good to hear from you. (laughs) How are you? doing well. Um, this is Scott, um, our guest for the night, and I wanted to know if you had some questions for him.
4: No, I've been listening, and I've been on the whole call. I think he's great. Um, I'm curious, Scott, where do you practice? I, you're a mortgage, uh, former mortgage lender, are you?
1: Uh, mortgage broker.
4: Right. Uh, what state were you? Uh, did you have your business?
1: Uh, Wisconsin
4: okay, um I'm curious would you be willing i was listening, i was uh, my case is unusual. I was defrauded uh as part of a larger scheme to defraud two banks and an insurance company on a house that was lar- that was that was likely uh destroyed through arson okay and it's a bold statement. And I'll back it up by saying that the attorney that we paid to represent us was involved in the fraud, and he died in 2011, and I walked into his office, and they handed me the file. Okay. With the evidence intact, it shows the notes of a conspiracy back and forth, and it also shows the math and so on and so forth. And I was... You, you you did a great job, and I'm a builder, and I just came down off a couple of roofs all day. I'm a little tired, and I'm uh, right in the middle of New Jersey where the storm hit, so lately my life has become very chaotic. Sure. Uh, and uh, I'm just after telling Greg, the host of the call, that my flip phone fell into a paint bucket about a week ago, and I'm just salvaging names and numbers now. So it's been uh, been very confusing. So here's what I was going to ask you. Would you – when you were saying, in an effort to track where the money came from,
1: mm-hmm.
4: we should request a wire confirmation from the title company, is that correct?
1: Correct. Uh If you're in New Jersey, uh, I'm not quite sure you're uh, – does the title company do the closing or doesn't? do they have an aspiration agent do the closing?
4: Well, it turns out that the seller's law firm did the closing paperwork. Okay. And they're also uh, involved in this fraud.
1: All right. Where was escrow set up?
4: The escrow was set up through my attorney, insofar as I know.
1: So what you're telling me is that the funds were wired into your attorney's account, escrow account?
4: I believe so.
1: So then he would have a copy of the wire confirmation.
4: I think I do have that.
1: All right. And that would tell you the name of... It would tell you... What it would tell you is the source of the funds, who's ever on the account, and it will tell you the name of the bank that the the, the funds came from, where the account is.
4: Okay. Well, here's another interesting wrinkle for you. Okay. So I have the actual name and the actual credit card statement of the actual banker that defrauded my family. And in the margin of his credit card statement, it shows his handwritten math that describes what he did, the math, and it shows his own personal credit card as having been used as tertiary financing to $43,000 worth of the loan.
1: Okay. So, so if I'm uh, understanding correctly, you are saying were two separate loans, a first and a second, or are you saying that he pooled money from two different sources?
4: Well, this is what I believe happened, and this is where I think that my case has legs, and I also think that once it gets out there, people are going to realize how depraved this whole situation is. It turns out that this fella, whose credit card I now have, He masqueraded as the lender the whole time. Okay. When, in fact, he worked for the bank that owned the burned house. Okay. So, as an employee of the bank that owned the burned house, he used his personal credit card to fund and thereby replenish the earnest money that my wife and I put down. And I've done the math. It works out almost to $37.50. So what they did is, I believe, they intentionally burned the house prior to my involvement with it, Mm -hmm. after they took a $200,000 equity lien against it. Right. And then... They used this banker, who was their friend, uh, to intercept the insurance money, because I know now that they did have insurance and they did take a claim on the fire. Right. Whereas they told me there was no insurance and I used my own funds to re- to refurbish, to-, to renovate the house. Hmm.
1: They would have had to have insurance out there to get a line of equity. You-
4: That's right. They lied to me and said there was no lien on the property. And when I first discussed it with these people who I believed were family friends, they said to me, uh, we're going to introduce you to our personal banker friend. And I spoke to this fellow and I said, can you provide a loan on this house despite the fact it was destroyed by a fire? And he said, yes. He says, I can give you a, a loan on the house because there's more than enough value in the land.
1: No, that makes sense.
4: Yep. And I said, "Okay, well, that's great." So we we signed a contract that said the house is being sold as is, and I was promised a single mortgage. Okay. I got a contract. I got an attorney, and so on, and so forth. And then uh, about six or eight months in, they said, "Well, wait a minute. The loan we promised you was never uh, was never brought to fruition. It it, it, it never worked out." So now you have to sign three loans at closing or lien the property to recover the money you invested up to that point, some $80,000. Uh, all
1: right. Back up there. You said after six, six, six months after
2: you closed?
4: Six months. prior yeah. to, uh, Before the closing, yeah. I had been working on the house using my own money oh, right, to renovate okay. it. Some people will say I volunteered my time, but that's not true. We had a contract. We had earnest money down, and we were promised a single mortgage. They waited until I was invested up to $80,000 in the property before they pulled the rug out from underneath me. Right. And at that point, they said, listen, you either sign three mortgages or you'll be forced to lien the property to recover your investment up to that point. Right. Now, here's the kicker. Not only did they have their personal friend that worked for the bank that owned the insurance and the lien on the burned house, they also had a brother in law who shares my exact name and my exact age. Okay. So they obviously used him to steal my identity and my work product. My own attorney. I now have evidence that he forged documents in my name.
1: I can believe that. First off, I believe they were all in on it together because it doesn't take... If they told you you can get, had no problem getting a loan, why did it take six to eight months? Especially if they were going to loan based
4: on the value of the land. That's exactly right. And they said it would take three to months to get the mortgage. It took almost six months to get the mortgage. And then... When I started to look at this after the attorney's file came into my possession, they perpetrated appraisal fraud because they claimed the house was in saleable condition uh prior to put it this way, at the closing, they claimed the house was in saleable condition, which is altogether untrue. Correct. And my yes. wife and I my wife and I saved every check of every capital improvement that we put into the property, and I did all the work myself with my own two hands.
2: Scott, right, Mike, right. um, I I just want to jump in here quick, if you don't mind, please. I'm just trying to watch the clock uh, yeah. and be conscientious for everybody else.
4: Right. Uh, I'm sorry. You're right. And I get a little wrong with you because just, this this wears me out this whole thing. <laughs> right.
2: No, I mean, I mean, we can only yeah, so much in so much in a weekly phone call. So here's my
4: question. I'll cut to the chase. If,
2: t- if you guys are fine with it, um, I can hook the two of you up so that you can have offline conversations about this further.
4: That would be delightful. That's exactly where I was going to go, and I was going to ask Scott, um, because I have an attorney now, and he sees what, what I've been trying to explain that for almost four years. And uh, there's a leap of faith with these attorneys because they, they look at you and they say, well, wait a minute, you're in foreclosure. You're trying to get a free house or whatever, and so on. So, I was going to ask Scott if he could give, as he explained so well before. I wonder if he would give a step-by-step process, and would he be willing to post it on Living Lies?
1: Process to
4: not on Living Lies.
1: Process for
4: to show how you would chase down, uh, as you were describing earlier, the title company. Certified check, requested a uh, wire transfer.
1: I've done that many times in Living Lives.
4: Yeah, I just, okay. well, it, it actually, I'd be delayed if you'd send it to me in an email. And maybe Greg will set that up, and I appreciate okay. that. Sure. And uh, I'd like my attorney to get involved at, at that point, too. And, and you seem to me to be an asset. I'm going to pursue this because I've had enough of these people, and I want them destroyed okay. utterly. So. And thank All you very right, cool. much, by the way, while we're on the subject. Good. Alrighty,
2: um uh San Diego has been waiting the longest here, so I'm gonna see what San Diego'd like to find out. Hello? Hello, far north suburbs of San Diego, you're on the call. Hello? Are you just on speakerphone? <laughs> Yeah, sounds like right. they don't know. Oh. Right. Now they're still there, far north suburbs of San Diego.
3: Did they, did they press pound, uh, star eight?
2: Um, I just unmuted them because they were the first ones on the call. Okay. And uh, all right, Well, put them back over there. Let's go to Central Illinois. You're next in line. This is Kathy. Hello
0: nobody there
2: California, are you there? Hello. Always all these folks on the call listening. What? we'll just unmute everybody. All right. everybody, you're unmuted. Does anybody want to talk?
4: You just unmuted me again. <laughs> I just unmuted everybody again. <laughs> you have
2: too much power. Okay. No, I just, you know, it's just a stupid little thing where you click on stuff. Anyway.
5: Sorry, this is Kathy. Uh, I was inconvenient when you unmuted unmuted me. Oh, um,
2: well. We apologize. Thank <laughs> Husband, we haven't we haven't we haven't connected with the uh, CIA satellite network yet so we can uh, you know look at you through your house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <We'll call. laughs>
5: you know, I did hear that about the phones uh with such a slap off But listen there should have been two insurance policies when you purchase the property that The homeowner's title insurance policy and the lender's title insurance policy.
1: Correct. I I agree with you.
5: Okay. So if there were pre existing problems on the title prior to closing, you would have been covered.
0: That is correct.
5: And the lender would have been covered both. Two policies.
2: All right,
1: yeah, it, it depends. All right, I agree with you. There's supposed to be two policies, but I know in Wisconsin there was only one policy. It was always the lender policy, and the borrower has always got a copy of the lender's policy.
5: Okay, well, in Illinois, you were, it was, you're required by law to offer them. The, your, the lender's policy was required by the lender. Correct. The homeowner's policy was optional. Okay. And I would think that anyone that you know you're buying a home, you haven't laid your eyes on those documents yet for the mm-hmm. title, from the abstract title. You would buy a homeowner's policy at the when you purchase that property.
1: Correct. And, and like, like I said, in Wisconsin, they're they're charged for it, but they're not getting it. I can't I can't well, speak for, I can't speak for Illinois. I know in Wisconsin, you, you when the homeowner got their, their insurance, they got a copy of title insurance from a mortgage broker or a lender, if the lender gave it to them. But it was always a copy of the lender's policy, not the borrower's policy, homeowner policy.
5: Well, here in Illinois, the homeowner's policy comes by mail after the closing, usually okay. three weeks after closing. Okay. Uh, in this particular case, it was American title. Um, so... You know, if there's a problem with the title, you know, you've got the lender's policy and you've got the homeowners policy. Yes. That's double payment.
1: Correct. Yep.
5: Does that seem right that they're double dipping?
1: They sure are.
5: Now I they know
1: sure
5: are. I know that I wasn't a borrower, but I know gone well. I had a right to go after the title insurance, Correct. the home title insurance policy. <laughs> I also knew that the lender, the lender's policy that was paid for, had a right to collect on the lender's policy. Correct. So,
2: But for folks, Cassie, for those that are new on the call or just for the sake of the recording, mm-hmm. um, let everybody know why you have a special circumstance. Just briefly.
5: Well, it was because at closing, instead, in lieu of the warranty deed here in Illinois, Greg, my husband, uh-huh. they they filed a trust deed with my husband's name on it. Trustees not yours. Correct. It was my husband's name and the law firm that represented the deceased seller's estate. Okay. The, the, the sellers owned the property free and clear, they held it in a revocable living trust. They both passed away. Their attorney was handling the estate. But upon their the, upon his death, um, his wife passed away before him. And upon his death, their oldest daughter became the trustee, and the revocable state became irrevocable, meaning it had to be settled. Right, yep. Okay, well, the parent's attorney didn't settle the estate. They left the trust open. So two years afterwards, when I get tired of dickering around with the uh, pretender lender mortgage company that was on the note, um, then the Countrywide servicer, then the Countrywide bank, then all the way through Bank of America, and everyone, multiple parties basically making the same claims.
0: Yep.
5: So you know, I I went straight to uh, the top, started asking questions from the other end because I don't do business with people like this. Right. (laughs) And that's when I found out that um, I wasn't going to be able to take out a loan in my name to purchase this property that wasn't in my name that I warranted under a warranty deed for the estate. And that's when I found out about the title, about all the payoff issues prior to, before, during and after closing now when there's a document filed at the county recorder's office that um has no validity um it means it has no force behind it it means nothing right and 20 documents filed behind it based upon that being a valid document they're all void
2: that is correct
5: that is correct so At the closing table the one thing i knew was i seen the checks i seen the checks that got cut to the realtors and i seen the checks that got cut to the two daughters the two heirs of the deceased of sellers estate so i knew that all the cash had gone paid out and i and i saw the warrant uh, a warranty deed uh, at the closing table and because I recall getting a call from Dan before closing and said, Kathy, you make sure that warranty deed has both yours and Ray's name on it. And, of course, first thing I asked to see was the warranty deed. Well, it's somewhere, yada, 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 yada. Well, you know, I want you to remember, Greg, that I had only been training 30 days to close loans for them and do title abstracts for them. <laughs> oh. so I knew nothing at the closing table. Um, But what I realized two years later anyway, when I went to get the loan, was that the uh, seller's estate, the seller's estate, their trust was still open. So I contacted Vic because this is a community, you know, where families live there their whole life. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and and I I knew how to contact them. All the neighbors knew these girls well because they grew up with them. And so we contacted Vicki. Vicki contacted her parents' attorney, and then Vicky had to hire her own attorney for, to represent her and her sister. Mm-hmm. What her parents' attorney had done, she found out that her parents' trust was still open and that there was a contract for deed sale between our estate and her parents' estate through their trust.
0: Huh?
5: <laughs> so... I'm sitting here going, where's the warranty deeds? Where's the warranty deeds? First of all, where's the warranty deed from the seller's estate to my husband and I? Right. Where's the warranty deed that you showed me at closing where my husband and I granted the warranty deed to the capital asset company? Let's say – um First capital asset and the lender was First Advantage Lender.
1: Okay.
5: So the lookalike names. And so I got, and when I realized that he got the property by trust deed, we didn't take the property by warranty deed. The tax bill was in both our names. And I, um, I decided, well, I'm going to go talk to my lawyer because. I'm not, these guys are black me. They stole $5,000 and they're saying I owe it and they want me to repay it off with the payoff. Okay. Of course, I'm going to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the lawyer started working on, you know, the tracking money because I was, I started on the, where's my title? You know, how can you sue me for something I didn't have, that I didn't receive? And how could I transfer by warranty deed the title to this property to the capital asset company, whose associate long arm business partner, the pretender lender, funded the loan. Well, I'm
1: trying but, to figure. Out how did you get a loan on the property with all that out there?
5: Well, see that that's, that's why I think that the problem was that's why the the, the sellers, the state's attorney, set up the contract for deed. Because the deceased sellers, they had, like I said, the trust had been established for years, a a revocable living trust. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's what he did was he hid the fact that they couldn't get my husband and I clear title at closing. And so, you know, I kept asking, well, where'd the money come from? Where'd the money come from?
2: Sounds like he
1: didn't know what he was doing, because even though the trust was still open, he said they could still sell the property out of it.
5: Well, exactly. So I wanted to know, well, where would the money come from, and whose money was it, and who actually took title to the property? Or where's the trustee agreement that gave the trustee that granted the grant deed? Correct. You're on the
1: right
2: path. Um,
5: When you issue a trust deed, there has to be a trustee agreement. Correct. And so... Well,
2: Scott, thing well, that... Scott, go, ahead. Go, Scott go ahead and uh, give her what you think. She's on the right track. There's got
1: to be a trust agreement. And as far as the money, where did the money come or go, there should be records in an escrow account.
5: Well, <laughs> like most people ran into, the actual title company that closed is no longer in business.
1: Oh, wait, right. did, they, did they just close the doors, or did they, were they bought out?
5: Well, they, they moved the files across town, American Title did, to another title company who claimed that they only kept the records back five years and that those that were transferred to them came with incomplete records. <laughs> now, you know, my attorney, she's, she's a prosecutor now, but she, she um, you know, she, she she knew about the wire transfer from the cashier's checks.
0: Yep. And she,
5: we, we figured out early on that the party that funded the loan was not the party named on the note. Why in tarnations would we grant a warranty deed? And then when I started to put all this together with MERS, and I, the only thing that kept going through my mind is they're forging warranty deeds. They're forging warranty deeds because – there's no way if these trust don't exist because the private placement mortgages, if they were under 220, there, the structure that was, hold on a second, I tell you dog dog's stop barking.
2: Mm-hmm. No
5: bark! The, the, the structure required um, two trusts. And if the first trust didn't exist, then the second one surely couldn't exist to be registered. and. Where were the two warranty deeds? Where were the missing warranty deeds?
1: Well, just because so, the first doesn't exist, doesn't mean the second doesn't, that doesn't exist?
5: Well, correct. I'm just saying that what filed, like there's a trust deed that was filed. It was granted to my husband and the seller's uh, attorney's office, the deceased seller's attorney's office. And there's no trustee agreement. We've never been able to get that trustee agreement. All uh,
1: right. This is what you, you sue everybody.
5: Well, that's what we yeah. did. Absolutely. Yeah. Of course.
1: So that's them sort of, all, um... It's if you'll hear
5: the problem, Greg, nobody steps forward to say anything. The... Everybody, everyone has a want of knowledge...
1: The attorneys for the uh, title company should be sorting this out for you.
5: Well, um, and actually that's basically is what we're going for because at closing, we purchased the homeowner's policy and the lender's policy. Uh And so that homeowner's policy was effective the day of closing. You can't tell me that the day of closing they they filed a trust deed instead of a warranty deed. They filed it without the trustee agreement which means it has no validity, which means the mortgage and everything else that followed after it is a nullity. Because that's what you were getting on the trail. You can't mortgage what you don't own.
2: Correct.
5: So now that's where the contracts for deeds are coming in. And, Greg, you and I are in Illinois, so we both know that when you purchase a property, you take it by warranty deed. Right. And how many of us – over the years, ever went down down to the recorder's office to make sure that warranty deed is filed? Um, I did. I
2: need? actually, no, actually, you know, just in response to that question, he actually, you know, not realizing that a deed issued by a seller is an offer, and until you actually accept it, it's out there floating in space. Right. And, and acceptance so is years, years later years later, we figured out that I had to issue an acceptance of the deed mm-hmm. and we had that all done and recorded that at the county recorder's office as well, you know well, prior to the foreclosure nonsense what if they
5: what if they what if they reconveyed the deed after you granted it to them?
2: well, no how do
5: you know what you got back was? has any, or what you filed has any legal effect, because remember how we talked about that the seller can only transfer and convey the rights that they have? And I asked you one you, day,
2: it, how do you know what day.
5: rights the seller or the trustee for the seller's estate had? Well,
2: in, my, in, my particular, in my particular case, it, it's a unique situation as well, but if I don't want to go into that I don't want to bind up everybody on this call with that.
5: Did you get a um, warranty deed on yours?
2: I got a warranty deed and everything, but I also knew the previous owners that owned the thing for over 100 years, which was the Lutheran Church of Chicago. All right. Right. I remember you telling me all that. Okay. Right. So you know, my my case is a, a weird, unique case, and on this particular property, and uh, and I would not recommend anybody trying to follow my game plan for their house because it's right. not going to be the Cause
5: same. It's all they're all different, unique. All right, you right. want to talk about you know. the note and and uh, the, how they go with the note in blank? Um, right now, after we purchased you know, the um, property.
2: Well, I don't know, but um, we, all, we well, just crossed over. We, we, hold on, we, I just want to make a mention here for, for the call that we just crossed over an hour, and uh, while we have in the past, allowed ourselves to kind of go nuts and have three- and four-hour phone calls. I'd like to not do that tonight. Um, and, I, and I don't know. You know, Scott's got to get up and go to work in the morning and other things, too. And as long as we have him here as a resource, um, I'd like to allow everybody the opportunity to uh, ask questions. So, again, I'm, I'm muting everybody from the call. So anybody wants to ask a question, please feel free to jump in and ask. Otherwise, we are going to continue with our line of conversation. That's Mike. I want to say
4: thanks, Scott, and I look forward to getting your contact information. I'd like to speak to you again. Sure. And thank you very much, Greg. Thanks, everybody. I'm going to bed. I've been climbing around on roofs all day. I'm exhausted.
2: (laughs) Well, you know what? You gotta, ought gotta to get involved in working in sewers. <laughs> Especially
4: in of... warmer It's a lot warmer under the house than over the house. <laughs> I do a lot of that, too. I'll call you later. i I got my phone back online. Thank you, guys. All right, Mike. Thanks. Have a great night. Everybody else.
2: We have South Carolina, far suburbs of San Diego, California, and Mid-South East Texas. You're all welcome to ask Scott a question. Yes,
4: I have a question from
0: earlier in the program. Um,
2: And please let us know who you are.
0: uh, My name is Alan. I'm in Houston, Texas.
2: Okay, thank you.
0: Um, you were talking about proving that the that the Remick trusts are non-existent because they're not registered with Secretary of State in in Delaware or New York, whatever their state of origination. Is is that definitive, or is the fact that they filed with the SEC going to be sufficient? All right, all these trusts,
1: these remix, they're registered. They're, they're supposed to be registered. If you okay, this is you walk. You look at their prospectus. You go to their SEC. You get a copy of this prospectus and a fully service agreement.
0: Oh, I know. It says what laws there is, what state laws right. are, they're
1: they're right. Yeah. right, and it is, so they're they're governed by them because they're registered in that state. Except they're not. Correct. They're not registered. That's what I'm trying to say. At a A Non-existent legal entity cannot be in court.
2: Well,
0: unless you're America's wholesale lender, then you could be in court, but anyway.
1: Yeah, not here yet. Yeah, and I'm just telling you how to prove that they don't legally exist.
0: Well, I can't believe that none of my attorneys ever had the presence of mind to think of it just like I never did.
1: Well, it's because everybody assumes that they would never do this. It's like it's like they said, they why would they be suing you for foreclosure if they didn't have the right to foreclose? We're a multi-trillion-dollar killer society, and you real, you only own a couple hundred thousand. Why would we want to do? You know, why would we risk everything for a couple hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars?
2: Yeah, well, Scott. Let me ask Scott. Let me ask you this in light of Alan's question. Okay, is it not true? that when somebody files a civil suit against someone, that quite often they have to post a bond for an equal amount of the possible damages to the party they're suing.
1: That's a legal question. I'm not qualified to answer that one, so I I
2: couldn't couldn't answer that.
0: I've, I've filed and been involved in at least 100 lawsuits, and I've never run across that.
2: Well, that's because it was never enforced. No, I've been up against Bank of
0: America no, I and
1: mean everybody who's the banks, The banks are winning because of assumptions. assumptions. Everybody, assumes, everybody assumes that they borrowed the money. Everybody assumes that the trust, that they actually securitized the notes. Everybody assumes yeah. that the trust exists. Everybody assumes that the trust were funded.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, that includes the judges.
1: That is correct. But the judges are not there to I say the judges are not there to determine if these the laws was funded. They're not there to determine if the trust exists. They're there to referee.
0: Right. It's up to me to challenge the existence of the trust without the judge.
1: Yep. Yep. I know
0: that. So so if I can I mean, that seems like such an easy way to blow the battleship out of the water. I mean, have you ever used that in court? Has anybody on this call ever used that?
1: We used it at one time. We ran out of time, and the court wouldn't let us add it to the record. Uh, I know Wisconsin here, the courts that I've been dealing with, they're not even reading the pleadings. They're not even reading the motions. They're just going through the motions. They just rule for the bank and get out of here. Yeah, they're you know they're not, we know they're not We know they're not reading the pleadings and motions because we re- we ask questions about them. And we go, what are you talking about? Well, we just sent it to you last week, and you said you actually had us email it to you because you were going on vacation. You wanted to read it while you were on vacation. Oh, you mean this document over here? Oh, this long one? Oh, actually, yeah. They never read it. They had. They're not even. They just. They're they're making it. They're ruling on the case before it even gets to their docket. I've had judges ask, "Did you ask the homeowner? Did you borrow the money? Yes. Did you fall behind the payments? Yes. Do you owe the money, Your Honor? We owe the money, but not to the party foreclosing against us. And they just. They don't want to hear that.
0: you over, yeah.
1: <laughs> so. Well,
0: sounds like you have a duplicate of the Texas legal system.
1: It's the same way across, all across the country. Um, Florida's gaining traction. New York was a little bit there falling behind. Uh, yeah. Arizona's starting to come around. But, California's
0: uh, getting traction.
1: California's got a good homeowners' bill of rights. Yep,
0: I'm getting traction. I'm getting some traction in Nevada as well.
1: well okay.
0: Well, thank you for that <laughs> invaluable tip. If I can manage to get it in the record, and maybe I can shove it up the Fifth Circuit's. You know what?
2: I hear ya. All right, <here> <laughs> All right and, uh, again for everybody on the call. Um. If you want to try to hook up with other folks that have been on the call, um, you can just email me at lawman, L-A-W-M-A-N at gmx.us. And, uh, both, uh, there, there's two things to email me about. One, that it's okay for other people on the call to talk to you. And two, that you would like to talk to other people. Alright? Because I'm not going to send you stuff that you didn't say was okay. Right. Uh, we're just trying to trying to avoid some of the earlier calls we had where folks were just boarding out their phone numbers and addresses and emails and everything and just yeah. emotionally taken sure. in. But I'm trying to, because these calls are recorded and are downloadable by other people in the future. Um just trying to protect your privacy.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I got no problem answering questions. You know, a lot of they have questions and... And are we on the air now? Yes, we still are. You are. All right. Okay. Yeah, I got no problem answering questions, and that, that's why I was on the call. So I'll just try to help other people.
2: Okay. Well, it is now top of the hour. Um, San Diego, Kathy, California, any thoughts? Are we Wind this guy up,
0: yeah, thank you guys. Good night, thank
2: you. good night, Alan all right um so for all those who are left before we say good night, are there last moments, thoughts, reflections that anybody would like to bring forward by all means just Jump right in. You're all open. I hear somebody typing, but that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> hey. um, uh, so, go ahead, Nina, please.
3: Um, oh, I was just looking at some of the documents from my closing, because, of course, my attorney got three years in the federal pen for wire fraud related to closings and real estate transactions. So I got his file, but I'm not totally sure I understand all the things in it. But that's mm-hmm. going to be something I'm going to talk to um, Scott about, because I'm sure he mm-hmm. sees what's in those files. Um so I have to go through it again. Um, I believe that I have proof of the wire, uh, but I'm not sure since the attorney was arrested for putting the money from the transactions into his own account and then not funding the loan, I'm not so sure that that file doesn't show that, too, but um, I'm not an expert in reading it, so I'm going to talk to Scott about it.
0: All right.
3: When, when, you know, I have to teach a class tomorrow, so probably not until later on. What's a good time for you, Scott? Tomorrow. Tomorrow, I can't do it. Tomorrow, I have to teach a class.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I can do it right after this call. Otherwise, I won't be available until probably hmm, the Monday late afternoon.
3: Okay, that's fine. That's fine. It's not. All of this is never going away, Scott. <laughs> I've been
1: yep. doing this yep. since, yep. since
3: 2008.
1: You know. It's never. Gotcha. I've tried to walk away from this a couple of times, but it just is. You just can't.
3: No, you can't. It's like a a horrible addiction. Yep. Okay, let's talk about Matt's cases for just a minute.
5: Um, Yes,
2: Kathy, please.
5: um, I I think that everyone should read the post that you put because um, exactly those two cases, um, what Matt did, is exactly what my attorney did for us. I started talking, bar- talking
2: about the Matt Weimer case.
5: Well, if, it is, if they're like standing the first time, and it's already been litigated and they lost, you know, you can't keep coming back as well. This time, you know, I'm John. Next time, I'm Joe. Next time, I'm Christina. You know what I'm saying? You, uh-huh. you know, you can't have 50 parties keep coming forward claiming they're the proper party without proof of claim.
2: So but just for just for folks that are coming into the call late, um, you're talking about the uh, Matt Widener um, cases where he's got these two wounds.
5: Correct. Uh, All right. Oh, gosh, I don't have it right in front of me, God, and I wish I could. I don't remember legal terminology very well, but I certainly know it. Um, res, res, my attorney res, friends use res, it.
2: Res judicata.
5: That's it. And?
2: And what was the
5: other part? I'm trying to pull it up here at the same time as you are.
2: No, I'm just, I'm running off my cheat sheets here. (laughs) Yeah,
5: I I remember you posted it in uh, in there, and I went through and I read it. And, yeah, and definitely you need to look at those is because (laughs) a, a lot of people, a lot of people what they don't do is they don't file their own motion. Mm -hmm. And and if you're going to stop these turkeys from coming back after you, you have to file that motion to make sure they stop. And um, it's just like after you send them a notice of rescission, they've got 20 days. That 20 days, you guys, is to respond, to let you know, hey, we received it, we're going to look into it. And, of course, everyone that did that, that they actually did respond to, um, you got jerked around. Sounds like pretty much the same way as the people with the loan modifications or anybody that sent in a qualified written request while their loan was current and couldn't get any information.
2: Right. When you amplify that and you do three months of qualified written requests over and over and over and over again without uh-huh. any reply and you document it all by certified mail, and one and of your questions to is, you want payoff? And you just do I just want to know who the hell you are and why you're bothering me. Pretty much, right? And, uh, and I just, and, I, I don't after understand. after three, after what I'm saying, Kathy is, we spent three months doing every thirty days. a repeat, certified Over- mail.
5: And that's why I called repeat, them papers the
2: of the month. Because, because and, for and time already answered. So after ninety days we said that's it. Precision. Done.
5: Well I think they got twelve months though so, to file
2: suit. Well oh, no, but we have we gave them ninety days to respond to something that they had thirty days to respond to that they didn't. And after <laughs> okay, well, ninety days to- of thirty days at a time, We'd was it
5: pre-discovery, or were you already in a lawsuit?
2: No, this was just a private action.
5: Okay, well, that's the thing. I went with, through the same thing. With the creditors. Well, I went through the same thing, and um, it's because we weren't because we didn't file suit in court. We were trying to get discovery to avoid court. My attorneys, um, they wouldn't answer anything, and. They, didn't, they weren't under the legal obligation to answer anything except for it to give me the payoff. And they kept saying they that legally, yeah. No, they, I, I
2: completely, I, well, I, I, I respectfully disagree with that statement.
5: Well, and I agree with that, that
2: statement, too. I, I absolutely,
5: you know, um, I think that they, we should have been entitled to that information and entitled to those answers.
2: And, and certainly, you are by are gonna, federal law. You are by federal law. Yep. Every single bank in America is a franchisee of the United States Treasury and the Federal Reserve, and they do not operate under state law. They operate under federal law, and they I can pull all the games they want, but they are franchisees. And if they violate their franchise, you can actually demand from the Secretary of Treasury to have and M- M- the... Uh, um, the uh, what the heck's his name? What's the other office? Well, something of currency. The, oh, uh, the
6: uh, controller of currency.
2: Controller of uh, currency. Controller uh, of uh, currency follow- and secretary of treasury. You can demand to have a bank's franchise revoked. And I don't care if they're your local mom and pop or their city bank. Correct.
1: You can file. You, you can, can demand file- to have
2: their. You demand to have their franchise revoked. For violations against the goodwill of the people of the United States for which their franchise was established.
5: Against the public. Right. Is what you're trying to say. Absolutely.
2: Right. And all you need is like 300 million people to say, yeah, me too. And that'll be the end of that. But you know what? You can't get everybody to organize, you can't get anybody to agree on anything. You know, they won't vote, you know. It's like, could we all just vote for the Green Bay Packers once in one year, and then we could all win together? But no. No. And I'm not even a Green Bay Packer fan. My dad (laughs) was. I'm
6: going to say this, My name is Debbie. Hi, Debbie. Are you in Maryland? I am in Maryland.
2: Hi. Welcome.
6: Hi. I was going to say that even in dealing with the control of the currency since 2011 and the crash, even they're under investigation right now.
2: Yes, they are. (laughs) They are. (laughs) Right. You know, the fox, you can't tell the difference between the, uh, the dog and the fox. You know, who's supposed to protect the chicken coop and who's supposed to attack it?
6: Yeah.
2: It's pretty sad. I think but there's anyway, going to
5: be a lot of a lot of disclosure coming out. And yeah, there will be,
2: but I certainly can't tell you about that. <laughs> it would all be a gesture at this point, but it might not be. It might not be, but I still can't tell you.
5: <laughs> yeah, well, you and I both know that.
2: <laughs> uh,
5: I just, I just, I think that. The, the banks, of, the, the banks have taken over the governments of multiple countries. There's no ifs, ands, and, and buts about it. They've taken over the state governments and they've taken over countries. And they become too take the fail.
2: Yeah, yes, you're right. But you know what? It's nothing new under the sun.
5: It's, this I has been the,
2: going on. This has been going on since our great grandparents.
5: Well, and it's, you're absolutely right. But it's been going on, and we haven't known about it. But people are, people are waking up, and we're going to pay the consequences for it, Greg. No ifs, no ands, and no buts. The people of this country well, are going to be paying the consequences for years to come. But the, the thing that we have to take away only, is well, you know make what? sure that history doesn't repeat itself again.
2: Well, the only bad thing that could happen is if the American people attack each other, blaming each other, instead of just accepting the fact that they had the, a hood put over their head, or a paper bag pulled over their head, and they couldn't see.
5: Well, and I agree. And
2: they were, and they were just looking at the pictures that were painted on the inside of the paper bag. Uh, absolutely, you know? absolutely, I agree. I agree. But. Um... And, and then you forgive each other, and then you figure out who put the paper bag over her head, and go after them together.
4: Uh, well, and this and
2: he, this could be this might and could be the most unifying thing that the United States of America's people ever had in the history of our country where we could actually point to an enemy that really exists for one time in our lives instead of having all these mysterious you know what do they call them uh, terrorists that don't have a country, and they just come out of the woodwork, and you never know who they are. Well, we know exactly who these terrorists are.
5: Well, yeah, you know, you look at every war, and you look at who's profiting from the wars.
2: Yeah. Who's
5: profiting from the war? The person that's providing the military equipment for them to kill each other. (laughs) Well,
2: actually, no, it's the funding for the military equipment. Well, yeah.
5: But what do you do when – what happens when you're funding both sides, though, Greg? Well,
2: everybody should go hmm. listen to some of the articles and and interviews with Catherine Fitz.
6: I
5: know. I I love her.
2: F-I-C-T-S.
5: Absolutely.
2: You should be listening to Jim Willie too. What's what's
6: her name, Catherine? Catherine
3: Austin Fitz, F I T S Uh How do you spell that? I know the Catherine part of it. Like a fit. A F as and is and Tom T is in Tom F. That's okay, Okay, thank yeah.
6: you.
2: She's the former, she's the former assistant secretary of housing under George Bush, George W. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and uh, and she was trying to get a full accounting of her department. Okay, just her department, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not like the world, and. She was told that she couldn't have it because it was being controlled by a private contractor operating under the CIA, and it was national security. Exactly. And she's like, mm-hmm. what the hell? We're talking about housing. We're not talking about going to war against Russia. We're then talking you have about to
5: Why is housing under national security? Why is housing a threat to our national security? Very
2: good. Right. right. And, 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 that's when, and that's when they attacked her and filed suit against her, and she ended up Spending six million dollars of her own money to defend herself.
5: Exactly, and mm-hmm. her life too. She was well, almost. And thank uh, God.
2: And thank God she had six million dollars.
5: What did you? Or she? Or she? have in jail. Well, they did the same thing to Karen Hudis. She yeah. was the uh, yeah. legal counsel at the World Bank. They did the same thing right.
2: to her. It's, Correct. It's, Anybody that hit a girls, load in the beginning, boys, that's
5: and, what they did.
2: All right. So, boys and girls, I have to admit, and you have to admit, we're taking this call a little bit off topic here. <laughs> right,
5: but and, it's actually the and, an and so of we're,
2: what and, led us all the mortgages. Right. But we're, we're sitting here at about 90 minutes, and uh, let's uh, be kind to each other and to our guest, uh, Scott, uh, so he can get up and go to work in the morning. And let's pose last minute questions. Any, any last minute questions, any last minute comments that are on topic with regards to um, lack, of dis- lack of disclosure and consideration, substitution of mortgage and contracting partners, unfunded loan agreements, non-existent trusts, securitizations of notes, bifurcations of security interests, and how to identify the existence of these so-called trust Named in an assignment which might be coming after you in foreclosure. That's what. Let's let's wrap up with that.
5: Uh, Scott did a very good job explaining that. Um, it's everything that I had an attorney do, and a lot of a lot of people don't get in depth about that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. those things are absolutely um, very important, and I think Scott explained them very well on how to get that information because he's absolutely correct. There are no trusts.
6: Right, and whatever is there is non is empty anyway. So Scott, uh, can you explain that? Since I wasn't on the line, if you don't mind.
0: Explain
1: which part.
6: Which part? Which part she was talking about? This young,
0: this lady. Uh,
1: yeah, you're right. They're empty, but they're empty because they don't exist legally.
6: Right, non-existent.
1: All right, you need to go to. You look at the get the name of the trust that's proposing on you. I go have okay. The, go to the sec.gov
6: website.
1: Sec. Uh huh. You would search under their Edgar file. And oh,
6: okay. I have mine.
1: Uh huh. All right. So uh, then it'll tell you what state that that trust is allegedly registered in. It'll be okay. New York, New York or Delaware. Right. And you go to their the appropriate state, New York or Delaware. Go to their websites, their state websites for and uh, look up the name. Do a search for corporations, corporations and trusts. Okay. Type in the name type in the name of the trust, exactly. hmm And do a search. Okay. And the name's not gonna pop up. So of course you know it. Now you've just proved it, but now you have to have proof for the courts. You know, um, I you have
6: know. all of my um P- pooling and servicing agreements that I got from the SEC because I did a lot of that and I found the master file and I found the loan case and everything, and partly Deadly Clear has a really good site in helping people get into the SEC to get into Edgar. And if you get a ribbon on it certified, you can use it as court material.
2: Correct. So well, that's what, to... that, is what, that is what Scott said earlier in the call. Mm-hmm. You, need to, you need to send an email to the Secretary of State
1: okay New York saying hey i'm I'm doing a search for this company I can't find it. They're registered with the SEC. they say that they're registered in your state. can you help me out they're gonna, they're gonna send you some email saying no, up the state doesn't exist. Are you sure is it, and you got you got to play dumb all right you got to say well maybe maybe they did exist but now they're not existed no more they're not current so is that why I can't find them? And they say nope even if even if they were, even if they were registered once and now are, and now defunct, there would still be a record. Oh, anyway. but you
6: got to play dumb.
1: Yeah, got to play dumb always. And then and then you go in there and you say, well, can you please can you please send me a letter stating that? You know, it's in the bill. They'll be more than happy to send a letter back to the station. Mhm. So you, you'll get it signed by the secretary of state, and then you go and then you find a. You file a Freedom of Information Act for any and all records. Say that again now. Freedom of Information.
6: State. Follow?
1: Yep, you follow up with a Freedom of Information Act request, and that's to the State of Delaware, State of New York, for all any and all records for that trust. Okay. So now you have two, you have two, two different uh, letters from two, from the government agencies that support your, your claim.
2: But, and W, okay. by the way, he, he didn't mean Delaware. He meant whatever the heck state the SEC does. Well, documents that's why he certainly. said New
6: York or Delaware, whatever, right. whatever it comes back from. Yep. Right. Okay, so that just gives you your evidence.
1: That is correct. You can't just go out. You can't just go. I know. I know. You got to have evidence.
6: No, and you got to state the law because that's the yep. court language.
2: Yep. Right. And, and Debbie, what's really interesting is Cat told me in a call yesterday, and we're going to close up. Um, and that is, he actually took it even further and went and went with that went back to the SEC with his documentary evidence, yeah, documentary evidence. And you know what they told him? Mm-mm. Tell him what they told you.
1: All right, I, I took that information. I gave it to the SEC, and the SEC. You said
6: SEC, right?
1: Securities yep yeah. yeah.
6: Okay. We're Edgar again, Okay.
1: Yeah. So asked, the the SEC told me to not only told me they gave me the forms to file a whistleblower complaint with the IRS against the trust.
3: <gasps> Yay!
1: However, wanting to do it because you have to. Everything has to be exactly correct because the IRS doesn't want to go after these people. Try to get an attorney to do that. For you. There's, you were talking lots of millions and millions of dollars that you think they'd be more than happy to. Can't find one. I got the Lynn Sonoma case. Got a list of all the attorneys that helped her with that case. Contacted everyone, called them, emailed them, wrote them a letter. Not one will even discuss the possibility of working on that whistleblower complaint.
6: Oh
3: my gosh. Yeah, the scam goes all the way to the top, including mm-hmm. the Federal Reserve, the IRS, um, all the banks, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, the attorneys as well.
2: Yep. Right. So, as Scott said the other night, what we really need is an army of investigative reporters employed by whatever media. It doesn't matter whom, anybody and everybody, to all blow the whistle at the same time.
6: Yes, whether it's 5, 7, 9, 11, whichever. I mean, yep. they did that with Lynn Simoniac. I mean, you know, she wrote, she wrote her letter, and she had a letter to the SEC listing a whole lot of trusts that had all kinds of issues with those trusts. She blew the whistle. Yes,
1: yeah, she, and she blew got the paid. On uh, the backs of a lot of other borrowers, homeowners. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, she
6: after she found her own, then she went into ten thousand other mortgages. So she, you know, she did team up with a lot of people. It wasn't just her. And they did they did turn around and rebut against her son. Did
2: they? All right. And, and Lynn and Lynn got seven figures, and everybody else got three hundred bucks. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: And it was right after that settlement that she quit helping people.
6: And Deutsche Bank came after her son. Um, But she also has a site that I found where she has people listed on that site that are attorneys. All right. And it seems to come up fairly easy when you look up Deutsche Bank.
1: Okay. We just found a website today. For if anybody's got Deutsche Bank as listed as a trustee, then okay, you can look up your loan. You get the uh, monthly distribution reports that they send out to the investors, and you can see if you're making if you're making loan payments or anything like that. You can find out. You can see if the uh, the trust is actually receiving the payments.
2: And what's the name of that? Do you know that do you have that? I'll type it so in, what's in the chat. Not happening in front of me right now. a friend of mine just showed it to me today. she was thinking, how oh, do you use right.
1: how do you use this and it's uh i Just email stuff.
2: me email me and uh, i'll I'll share it with everybody else all right so yeah. and so, and, I, so, and
6: I, I did hear that too where where they would say they were going to foreclose on somebody, and then the trust was still making payments. Well, didn't
2: the
1: close tr- anything The problem is it's, i I know for Trend Deutsch anyways. They don't know what's going on. The only thing they know is that a foreclosure a foreclosure was initiated. That's all they know. They don't know that there's been judgments. They don't know nothing about no um, modification agreements. Trial modification. They don't know nothing because they're not they're not the trustee anymore. No, they're not. I've got I've got recordings of them telling me this.
2: I have recordings of U.S. Bank reassigning their trusteeship back to Auckland,
6: Yeah, Yeah, Ockland, a debt collector. Yes,
2: that's all they are.
6: And a lot that's of them me. are debt collectors. And then under the Fair Debt Credit Collection rules, even attorneys, if they're acting as debt collectors, even for other agencies, they have to have a license. So we have the right to ask them for their license in that state and, you know, all of that.
3: Yes. And you can also get the EIN numbers for the entities that have similar names or you think they're not in existence anymore. You can find out whether they actually are the entity you're looking for or if they're out of business because they don't have an EIN number or an FEIN number given to them by the IRS.
1: So you know how to If I give you the number, you can tell me who it belongs to?
3: Well, I'd have to do research
1: on it. All right, yeah. Because what I what I've been trying to tell people is, you get a ten, if you're making mortgage payments, you get a ten ninety nine at the end of the year for your interest payments. Right. Now that that'll list who the that should tell you who the investor is, who who your payments are going to.
5: Ten ninety eight.
1: So it should tell you who your payments are going to, and that better match who's foreclosing against you.
6: You know, there's another number. It's 1066 or something like that, and that's another one that talks about the person or the principal. Yep. Is that correct?
1: Uh, I believe you're correct. I'm not not sure on that one, but I think you're correct. Because you you get the 1099 from the part of your pen. Mm-hmm.
5: So
1: that's – if you can find out who who, who the – the name of the party that belongs to that um, EIN number, you should be able to submit that to court and say, hey, this is where my payments are going. The IRS says so. Well, that'll blow them out of the water
2: nicely. Yep.
5: Okay. I have a party okay. paying
6: 1099s, we Why? get 1098s. I think that's because I'm going to file with our taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: 1098. One, one at a time. One at a time, please.
5: Well, i just try to distinguish if we're talking about 1098s, the annual statements, or
1: 1099s. You're you're correct. It's the 1098. The 1099 would be for for debt forgiveness
2: of uh, loans. Right.
5: Okay. That's A or C, 1099 A or C afterwards. So we're talking about the 1098 annual statements. And if you'll notice that your 1098 annual statements are always in the name of the servicer, the party paying the insurance and the taxes.
0: All right.
1: There's a problem with uh, your
5: taxes every year. Yeah, I, I mean, isn't good. that standard across the country?
1: Well, they get confused because they think the servicers are their lender because they list it as. It's just the same thing as the credit reports. You know, only a creditors is supposed to be able to put the, put the reports of the credit bureaus and list on there that the services are on there, not the lenders. Well, and that's true. I agree with you. And if you're
2: sending like, service or a debt validation letter, you're not going to get nothing back in return. Well, well um, I can tell you, I, I, I want to tell you this about bankrupt entities like New Century Bank. If I owe Scott 100 bucks, no, if Scott owes me 100 bucks, right? Like i like a better legal bank. <laughs> I, you know, well, okay, you know what? You know, that'll be on a different call. <laughs> Okay, if Scott lets me 100 bucks and I go bankrupt, all right, and now, not me, Greg, but, okay, let's say Greg creates ABC Business Inc., right, and goes bankrupt. That bankrupt entity has claims to its debtors, but they have to be claimed. They actually have to be claimed by the receiver and the bankrupt trustee, bankrupt trustee. Yep. And and if the bankruptcy trustee and the new assigner, assignee, um, the uh, servicer—it's not a servicer—I said it properly Um, before—the receiver, the company that's set up in receivership, doesn't make any claims for those debts after a period of time. They lose standing to claim it hmm. so even though Scott owes me a hundred bucks, owes my ABC company a hundred bucks if i if I have not provided all the documentation to the trustee for bankruptcy and to my receiver for them to go and collect it and they don't. And even if I do, they don't go collect it. Scott's free and clear on that hundred bucks. He's, he's clear. Yeah, as long as there's they no claim. Once the like statute of limitations once once the statute of limitation runs for their failure to act, they lose it.
6: That's kind of like a quiet title, in a sense.
2: Now, you could then file a quiet title afterwards for again failing to state a claim for which relief could be granted, because in my case, the the, the main party is New Century Bank who went bankrupt in 2007, and then they start making how the hell can Auckland be acting as a power of attorney for a bankrupt entity in 2012 and 2014 when they've been in receivership and trusteeship five years. Right? It doesn't happen. can't happen. Not in the legal world, but only in the make-believe world of U.S. banks. Right? And I'm trying to figure out how to get my lawyers to understand this, to go and beat the the daylights out of them. You know more than they do. That's the problem. They know, the, the lawyers know, the lawyers are all experts in procedure but they are not experts in law. And so what we have to do is provide impeccable, detailed documentary evidence to our lawyers so that we can put that ammunition into their cannons for them to use in their procedural expertise. This is where it's at. That's why lawyers will go, oh, I'm not taking this case for less than a $50,000 retainer because they're basically asking you to pay tuition for them to learn the law. But mm-hmm. if you've got everything already laid out, prepared, properly stated, on a great timeline with the entire thing there, you're going to find a much more um, a medicable, um audience of attorneys that are willing to help you, All right? And then you can actually get into a bidding war. Because you're gonna go, yeah, this is gonna be possible, you know, seven-figure, you know, claim, and uh, you guys get to share in that. And but people just don't understand. Lawyers were trained to be stupid on purpose. Mm-hmm. We were trained to be stupid on purpose we're all we're all victims of our own public education system that we paid for we paid for an educational system to make us stupid all right even the smartest guys in the room are only taught what they're supposed to know so that the folks at the top get what they want and that's my personal opinion
3: frank zappa said if you if you want to get laid go to college if you want an education go to the library
2: you want an education? Get arrested.
3: That too.
6: Or don't pay your mortgage. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah.
6: There is a there is a law. I mean, I'm working on on um, federal laws and real property and all of that. And when you talk to these agencies, I think it's better to send a letter and then talk to them. But for example, uh, about commingling but and se- how they use
2: it. letter. But send the letter certified.
6: Mm-hmm. Everything. Certified Green Card Receipt.
2: Yeah,
1: because that way when they get it, usually they put a phone number on. So you call that phone number find out who signed for it, and usually it's just somebody that picks up the mail. But they'll give you the phone number and the right person to talk to you. Oh, okay. Good to know.
6: But at any rate, and then there's another, there's going down the list of, of all of these different laws about and get, uh, I, I can't quote the law, but one talks about, um, getting the license and, and are they able to, um, practice or be whoever they are in a particular state? If they don't have the license or the number, then they can't practice. So you're calling them out on everything. And then the other one is, is you're not obligated to pay until they reveal who they're supposed to reveal, and that's the law.
1: So at some point I'll
6: pull out my list and I'll bring it to the phone. Yeah, that's,
1: that's a good statute to know.
6: Because the people I knew that were successful in court, particularly there was a lady, and what she did was she read, we speak their language, she read the law and she gave her scenario. And she read the law and then she gave her scenario. And then the judge allowed her to just kind of have the floor and the other person really didn't have anything to follow because she had it all laid out.
1: <laughs> I, I tried that. Me? I read the uh I read a uh the appellate court's decision and I was told to you uh we had enough of this, we don't need to hear this.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well.
1: Based uh based on what, what uh what's hearsay and what what, uh, what considers uh, business records and what a copy does not mean they have the original. And the court didn't want to hear that. A copy is not, does not mean that they have the original. Mm. Now, The court clearly ruled in Wisconsin that a, a copy does not mean they have the original. They still have to produce the original.
6: They still have to produce the original.
2: Yep. Scott, go to court with a photocopy of a $100 bill. Put it on the yeah, business. I, I, bench. Still,
1: I know that scenario.
2: Yeah. So Your Honor, this is evidence of the original notes. I claim under the original notes.
1: What is a true copy, not a true copy?
2: Right, as a matter of fact, would you take, take my counterfeit hundred- bill for your for this? your counterfeit no, note? No. <laughs> no, watch this. Go into a Go into a notary public's office with a photocopy of a hundred dollar bill, and have her stamp it as a true copy of the original note.
6: And
1: that is not a true no. copy. That is not a true copy of the original note.
6: It doesn't make it one either, just because she stamps it.
0: But but it is. But it all right. You said you said scan
1: a copy of the original all right, say
2: that again. Yeah. That wasn't get me. a get a get a make a great color copy of a hundred dollar bill. Yep. And then bring the original hundred dollar bill with you All right. to the notary public. Yep. And say, ma'am, would you please notarize this as a certified true copy of this note? That it is unaltered in any way. Alright, that that
1: that's what I was getting at before. That's that's according to the black black law dictionary, the word true copy. And what they say they, what they say they're is this is a true copy of the note. What that means is it could be a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. It's not say it's a copy of the original
2: note. Right.
1: It's a photocopy. It's still a copy. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but it, here's yeah. What they say. So you you have have to to
2: all right. You're right. You're right. So you have to say a true copy of the original. Yep.
1: Because that what people think. The average person, pro se people think they read, they say a true copy of the note. They think it's a true copy of the original note. And the courts are inferring too that they have the original note. They don't. We had right. to look. Got to look up every word in the dictionary. True, true does not mean true.
6: You did. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, there was an attorney that was on there, and he was saying a lot of times, as a pro say we sit there kind of looking like we're full of pride and we're dumb because we don't really know what the law says in its completeness. Like he was talking about when you sign something and then delivery, did we really ever deliver something? No, we don't. So if you didn't do the whole thing, you didn't do any of it. Yep. So we don't know that we. It's, you, you deny the whole thing because we didn't do the whole thing because we didn't do all of it.
2: So when they say you don't we, have, to, well, you don't have to deny anything. I think you might just say, "Sir, I am not qualified to answer that question."
1: That's true too. You see, when they when they say that, when they say we attach a copy, we attach a true copy of the note, we attach a true copy of the mortgage. The question is, if you have the original, how can you attach a true copy of the original? How can you attach a copy of a copy? That's the question you have to raise. Because there can only be
6: one original.
1: That is correct. Well, I, we discussed that yeah, last, last night, Greg and I. There's more than one original. If, if depending upon what the title company or closing agent does, uh, closing they're required to give you a copy of the closing package. Some closing agents give you a copy of the file before you sign it, and some people give you a copy. They copy all the files after you sign it and give you a copy. Now, if they give you a copy of your your, your, mortgage file before you uh, unsign a blank copy, you have an original. Of the mortgage and the notes. Back to the day of closing and say, Your Honor, I have the original right here. You can test the paper. It's real ink from a pen. I have the original. I am the holder of the note. Their argument has been all along. I am, whoever holds the note is to enforce it. Well, That's they have point. not produ- they have not produced the original. I have it.
2: We are now almost two hours on this call for okay. a one hour phone call. Oh. And, um, boys and girls, moms and dads, ladies and gentlemen, I think that, uh, we've really exhausted a lot of great information here. Uh, and I appreciate everybody's participation. And I hope everybody else appreciates.
6: Thank you, everybody, kindness, for sharing uh,
2: the kindness of Scott coming on here. And spending this time with us and bringing his background and expertise to to reflect onto our questions and comments and his. It's his Scott, an and attorney. Ideas. Who is
6: Scott. May I ask, please?
2: i think the mortgage dude. Got some mortgage dude.
6: Maybe I need this mortgage dude. Maybe I need to talk to this mortgage dude to ask offline.
2: If it's you okay, can, you, is, know, you, you can listen. me know the rules. You know the rules.
6: I can send you Send, you send me
2: an email. Okay. And and I will do all this stuff offline so that private information is not put onto the phone call.
6: I agree. Because
2: this we get we get downloads of several hundred people.
6: Yes.
2: Taking they can't make the call to download them and listen to them later. And we don't know who downloads them. They could be ordinary folks, they could be bankers, they could be lawyers, they could be the IRS, who knows, right? And so I'm just trying to make sure that you guys don't put your private information out on the recordings. That's all. Mm -hmm. Okay? With that, Neva, would you you please wrap this up for us?
0: Well, thank
3: you for participating in our call. And don't forget, you can always go to the website and download the recording, so you can get more information about whatever we've been talking about, um, and take notes so you can use it. Um, and we are always looking for new guests uh, to come and speak, uh, and we like old guests, too. So uh, if you have something that you would like to for us to interview you on, we would love to do that. Um, and you can always reach Greg through his email address. So I'd like to say goodnight to everybody. It's quarter to nine, and we went two hours, and that's better than four hours. So everybody have a good one, and thank you.
6: Thank you.
2: Good night. Good night. Good night, everyone, and thank you very much.
1: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.